Thanks for joining me on Cranford Radio. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. Our guest today is someone we last spoke to in May of 2014. His name is Robert Diambola. He was a township committee uh, person. He served on the Summit Police Department for some 28 years. And he is the author of five books, including the most recent, which is entitled The True Test is When No One Sees, with the initials underneath O-B-P-O-S. Bob, welcome to Cranford Radio. Good morning, Bernie. I'm sure people are wondering right from the start, we're going to start with a question. I gave those initials at the bottom. They can read the book to get the exact definition, but uh, give us sort of the uh, the G-rated version of what those initials stand for, if you would, please. Okay, the, the initials would be uh, one big pile of uh, stuff, let's call it. <laughs> sounds good, sounds good. And rather than me describing the book, I, I've read good portions of the book. Why don't you give me your definition of what this book is about. Okay, and thank you for having me this morning. The book came about because uh, I started instructing at the police academy, actually when the uh, Union County Police Academy was run in out of Union College uh, campus in Cranford. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't have the, uh, the John uh, Stamler Academy in Scotch Plains at the time, which they sorely needed. So uh, I attended the academy there, and it was uh, in a very small uh, auditorium type of setting. Uh, I guess they use it for lecture halls, but it was, it was very tough, especially within the college setting. It wasn't as extensive as the training is now. It was, it was a lot shorter then, too. That was in the dinosaur age. I guess it was uh, <laughs> 1977, so that's quite a long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, things have changed drastically since then. So then uh, I became an instructor and I, I started out with crime prevention, motor vehicle law, and then prosecutor uh, Rotolo came along after John Stamler and he instituted the ethics class for the 2000 officers in Union County because he saw a need for it. He had no idea what was coming nowadays. I mean, just police are in the headlines every day on the news. You know, they're the topic of a, a presidential campaign. Whoever saw that coming? Mm -hmm. So uh, I started teaching this class for in-service. And then it, then they said, okay, now we're going to do recruits because let's get them before they get tarnished on the road. <laughs> and, you know, it started out, you know, don't take a cup of coffee. And, you know, it was very basic ethic problems, very simple. Nothing, again, nothing like it is today. I started instructing with uh, then Chief Doug Marvin from New Providence who had been a friend of mine for, I don't know, 20, 30 years by then. Uh, so we, we went to the academy and we had a full day, which was about five hours uh, time for the recruits. And we took this class. We had, had to go to a train-to-trainer course. Uh, people came up from Texas. You know, we, we did that for a number of years. And then Chief Marvin retired and he became the administrator of the province. So he got a little busier. So I, I took it on by myself. And he was like my calming influence in the class because I would get like crazy, like Sam Kinison in the, in the back to school film, you know, just screaming at everybody, you know, and, and I brought, I tried to bring humor to the class because it's a very dry topic, you know, ethics, who wants to know, you know, ethics, everybody thinks they're okay, but until you get in a jam. So I, I continued the class and I would cut out newspaper articles every day from the Star Ledger or whatever newspaper I grabbed, Time Magazine, you know, whatever was most uh, current. 
and there was always something to use. So I have right now, and my wife is so happy that I have cases of these articles stored in my basement and it just continued. And I would update the class and I would bring the, the daily paper for that day when I taught the class. It would be twice a year because they run the classes, uh, you know, in the summer and the winter. So I, I would bring the daily paper in and I would say, okay, let's see what's new today. And there was always something. Very rarely was there, there not a day when a police officer or department was jammed up for some reason. Um, I found that interesting because, again, I based it mostly out of Union County. And with 2,000 police officers, I don't know how many would be working on a, on a specific day. But I found it interesting that not one story included somebody saving a life uh, with CPR pulling somebody from a car, you know, rescuing somebody, you know, they're always, I mean, there's, there's thousands of cops helping people every day, but they don't print that because it doesn't sell newspapers. So, you know, I, you know, they, they like dragging the, the bad in front of the public. You know, that's why all the, uh, the tabloids and the star magazines and things like that. People want to read the dirt on the movie stars. They don't want to read the good stuff. And the same thing goes with law enforcement. So let me quote uh, Winston Churchill. He said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried. <laughs> that, that's the same thing. The same concept goes for law enforcement. It's a horrible system. It kind of works. And they say, well, that's how we've been doing it. And police are very uh, against change. You know, they're very set in their ways. We do it this way because that's the way we've been always doing it. And that's really not the answer. You know, they, they've been dragged kicking and screaming into the technology age. I remember we didn't have computers. Uh, if we needed a look up on a car plate, we'd have to call the state police on the phone, you know, wait for them to answer. I don't know where it went to Somerville or wherever you know, wait for the guy to answer the phone. He would check the computer and then get back to us. And they didn't even tell you anything. They would either tell you it was stolen or it wasn't stolen. Now, that's basically all the information. We had um, the teletype machine. That was in a closet because it was so loud. They had to put it <laughs> in the closet. And they would type the, the paper, you know, the answer back. And it would, you know, da -da 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 -da, you know, come out. You, know, you rip that off. And that, that's what you based it on. And that doesn't mean the car wasn't stolen. That means they didn't have a record of it being stolen, mm -hmm. you know, and by the time something, it might be a day later, two days later before a car was entered into the system. That's how slow everything was. So now there's, you know, instantaneous information, there's tracking, there's cameras, there's all kinds of technology, which is great. You know, I, I thought it was a, a great idea, but the older guys and I, you know, now I'm the dinosaur, but the way something came up, they're like, oh, my goodness, how we have to deal with this. First, we started with the camera in the to record drunk driving tests in headquarters. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, I don't want to be on camera. But, you know, it only helps your case, you know, to see the person, you know, staggering around or they can't perform the test. Before, you know, the judge or the jury or whoever used to just take your word for it. They don't take the police word for it anymore. They want to see proof. They want to see video. Uh, so that that's a big help. And I always and then we went to car cameras. You know, I told the guys, I said, use this for your benefit because you know you're on camera. Tell the person they're on camera. Be nice. Be professional. The person that you're arresting will just 
convict themselves by their behavior. It took a while. They got used to it. Uh, I left before they got body camps. So I don't know how that went, but I'm sure, you know, again, in a lot of departments, complaints against officers went down because, you know, they would come in and say, oh, the officer did this or did that. And they show them the video and they go, never mind, because it proves that they didn't do it. Anyway, getting back to the, the ethics class. So I was doing it by myself uh, and I've been doing the class since the start for about 25 years. Uh, I continue to do it after retirement. I was uh, with the police department 28 years. The places where I worked afterwards were kind enough to let me off for the day. And I told them it was for their benefit because it maintained my police certification for uh, the PTC for training. So, you know, it was a little check mark in their box that I, I was there. So I did it for 25 years. COVID hit. Because of that, they limited people coming into the academy. And, you know, they only did the mandatory classes. My class was an elective, according to the Police Training Commission. I had a little time on my hands. So I said, let's see, I have cases of articles sitting in my basement. So I went through everything and I wrote my class down into the book. And I called it the true test is when no one sees. And it's kind of an offshoot quote from uh, basketball coach Wooden. And he was stellar coach and everything. And, and he said that he says, you know, it's ethics is, is how you behave when no one is watching. So I stole that and I just changed it around a little bit. And, and that's basically what it is. Police work is a lone career kind of thing. You know, you're lucky if you have a partner, sometimes you're unlucky if you have a partner, if you have a bad <laughs> partner, you know, you really have to get along. They always said it's like a marriage, you know, you're with, you're with the person you know, sitting feet away for eight to 10 hours a day, that's pretty tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people can't sit in a car with their wife or husband for that long. <laughs> so, you know, you have to, you have to get along, you have to, you know, eat the same thing or go, you know, want to do the same thing. You have to be either proactive or do nothing because you have to jive with, you know, what you want to do that day. So, you know, that's important. So I wrote the, I wrote the book and I, I think it came out pretty well. This is my fifth book. My other books are mostly humor and, you know, real life situations and crazy things that have happened to me. But this was this was my class. And I thought it was important because, like I said, I've stayed with it for 25 years because I believe in it. I've had not immediate, but cousins, uncles, my son, about almost a dozen people in my family involved in law enforcement. I probably got into it because of my uncle and my cousin. You know, it's important. It's I think it's a dangerous job. It's a tough job. It's tougher, way tougher than it was when I started. I want to help the recruits. I want them to survive their career, not just, you know, live through it, but not get fired for stupid things. And it's very easy. This isn't just a, a police book. You know, mm -hmm. it, there's the the seven habit habits of uh, successful people. I, I forget the title of it. But it's, you know, there's a lot of business books that tell you how to do this and how to do that, you know, dress for success, things like that. This is how to survive a workplace. You know, you're going to have crappy bosses. Uh, and the, the best line I always heard was, you don't quit the job, you quit your boss. Because sometimes it's just so intolerable that you have to put up with somebody and that, that, that berates you or disrespects you. You know, the Me Too movement came out where, you know, women were being abused at work. That's horrible. But it happens to police officers a lot because, you know, there's a power thing. 
you know, it's a a semi-military operation and there's ranks and there's, you know, power above you and you have to get along and people tell you what to do and you, you, there's no discussion. Uh, the new generation, there's a lot of discussion. <laughs> there's a lot of questioning. And, you know, there's a lot, sometimes there's not time for that. And I agree, but it's a good thing to have a conversation. You know, if you think something's bad or illegal, absolutely, you shouldn't do it. The times are changing, and, and but the problems don't change. It's, it's still the same thing. Uh, I think I covered a lot of material in this book. I go back from Rodney King, and I bring it right up to George Floyd, which was a, a horrible event. It changed the nature of policing across the country, maybe around the world. So like I said, I, I believe in the topic. Um, it's, it's very tough. And, and my class, like I said, I try to make it bearable because you know the recruits are sitting there. They have to get there maybe 4.30 in the morning. They're doing their PT. By the time I get them at nine o'clock, they've already been up for five hours. And, you know, I tell them, I said, I don't want you hitting your head on the desk because I'll get sued, you know, if you get hurt. (laughs) And, you know, you have to keep their interest for the for the entire time. In this day and age, and you touched on this about cameras are everywhere. They're in the police cars. There are body cams. There are cameras on buildings, on streets, everywhere. If you're out on the street, there's a good chance you are being videoed at this time. And people, whether it's police officers or other folks, seem to forget that. Well, I'm, I'm surprised that that people don't keep that in mind, that if you're doing something wrong, there's a darn good chance that it's going to be on videotape and it's going to come back to bite you. Absolutely. Uh, I, I tell the recruits, you know, if you could see the helicopter, they could see you. You know, and they, you know, look at the the telescope that's looking at Mars and Mercury and all these planets. You know, they're zooming in on stuff. You, you, they, they can see you. You know, I, I also tell them there's at the Super Bowl, right? There's a hundred high def cameras all over the stadium. They got the flying camera through the field. They got the cameras all the way around. Everybody in the stands has, uh, uh, you know, so you have a hundred thousand iPhones going off. They have time for review. They have the playback. They have uh, super slow motion. And guess what? Sometimes they can't figure out where the little ball goes on the field <laughs> or if there was really a touchdown. They have to play the touchdown five times from six different angles to determine if he crossed the line. Now, everybody thought, oh, body cams, they're going to be the answer to all our problems. No, they're not. No, they're not. Sometimes, especially you get in a tussle with somebody, the camera goes off. Sometimes people turn them off, which they shouldn't be doing. Uh, Sometimes it's not the right angle. There's a lot of different things. It does. It's not the answer all. And everybody's always hoping, oh, this will solve all our problems. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It just creates a, a different perspective. You know, you just have to go with that. But absolutely, police should be aware of that. Use it to their advantage. Use the cameras as much as they can. And police have been convicted with their own body cams. The, the one officer, female officer that shot the guy who she thought was she, she was tasing the guy. I believe her. I mean, why would you, you know, she got caught up in the moment. She was in a struggle and she was a 25 year veteran she got, and she's yelling taser, taser, taser. And she shoots him. And then she, she like collapsed after that because she was so in shock that she shot the guy. You know, she's in jail. 
and she'll be in jail for a long time. Her life's over. I mean, she's not getting another job like that. She'll be, you know, she'll be lucky if she she works in a convenience store. Uh, horrible. I feel bad for the the victim and their family. You know, a lot of people, the just horrible tragedies happen. The thing that I hate is everybody makes it about race. And I have a quote in the book from me. You know, sometimes it's all about race because there are racist cops, absolutely. And sometimes it's not about race. Sometimes you just lock somebody up and it goes bad. I say it all the time. I said arrests aren't pretty because, you know, I liken it to uh, calf roping. Uh, you know, you're going after a little cow, right? You, you rope it, you, you drag it down. You're trying to wrestle this thing to the ground. And it looks horrible. If you're an animal rights activist, you know, I would be protesting about that because, you know, it's just like brutality. But, you know, I mean, it's not killing the cow, you know, but again, arrests sometimes go really bad. You talked about George Floyd and a lot of that came from individuals, phone cameras and such. But it's not so much that I want to talk about, but there were other police officers who were also on the scene. And a lot of what you're doing, you're teaching recruits, people who are brand new. As you said, it's a semi-military organization. You're expected to, to follow orders. What do you tell a recruit about the pressure to challenge someone who is a superior in terms of rank or in terms of their experience if they see that person doing something wrong, because as we saw in the Minnesota case with George Floyd, their lives are on the line too, and they are going to be punished for allowing something to go on that they didn't step in and stop. Absolutely. There was a, another recent case after George Floyd, a, a veteran sergeant was arresting somebody. They don't tell the backstory, which, you know, it's hard to hear all the time. I'm sure there was a, a scuffle or some type of confrontation. And the sergeant had the suspect probably handcuffed and he was putting him in the back of the patrol car. He's, he's under arrest. He's done. That's it. All, that's all he had to do. And the sergeant was very upset because sometimes your emotions run away and you, you have to control that. That's the thing that you know, the police have to train themselves to do is just take a breath. You know, they take it personal. That's, you know, you're defying me. Oh my God. You know, he's threatening the guy in very color, colorful language, and he's going to mace the guy. So a female officer, probably, you know, younger and less time on the job, grabs a hold of the sergeant's belt and starts to pull him back to save the sergeant. You know, she's doing it because she sees that he's going to get himself jammed up if he starts assaulting this guy or, or you know, maces him in the back seat for no reason. The sergeant turned around, grabs her by the throat and slams her against the patrol car because, again, he's taking the personal that she's interrupting him. He gets charged with assaulting the, the civilian. He gets charged with assaulting the police officer. He's done. And, you know, she was just trying to save him. And I, I tell the, the recruits, you know, change is, is here and it's up to them. It's good that they're starting at zero and it's, it's up to them to monitor things. You know, I, I wouldn't tell police officers to stop, you know, somebody from arresting somebody because the person's going to turn around and hurt you. I mean, you know, every, in every situation, there's no clear answer on that. But 
you have to, yeah, when you see something illegal, you have to step up or say something, at least bring it up after the fact, you know, because you, you need to talk it out, you know, and I think a lot of cases and a lot of uh, situations and calls should be reviewed uh, all the time. I've been involved in um, emergency management for many years, and it's the same type of thing. After you have a big emergency, a fire, you know, explosion, something that requires emergency management. Afterwards, maybe the day later, they sit down and they have a hot wash and they go over it and they say, what did we do right? What could we do better? You know, how can we improve it? And that's how police should operate. They should review, even if it's a simple thing, maybe it was a house fire, maybe it was a car accident. How did we handle it? Did we position our cars right? Was the scene safe? Did we respond appropriately? You know, how long did it take? Did we take too long? Sometimes you jam up a highway. The police, the state police, we used to have 24 and 78 going around Summit. And the state police hate when you close their road. You know, <laughs> it's like, no, their job is keep the road open, keep the traffic flowing. But sometimes, you know, you have a fatal or something, you have to shut it down. And then it takes hours and you get, you know, a lot of angry people jammed up in traffic. But, you know, they don't take the time to review it. And it wouldn't take long. I'm not talking about a whole day. I'm talking about maybe 20 minutes. You sit down and say, how do we do this? How can we do better? Well, we've been talking on this episode of Cranford Radio with Bob D'Ambola. He is the author of five books. His latest, The True Test is When No One Sees, O-B-P-O-S. Bob, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks, Bernie.